This is Human Nurture, and I'm Jason Brand, and this season we are asking the question, how does a couples therapist learn to do that? Today we are going to do a wrap-up interview about the first couple of the season, Bart and Susan. Like we always say about this time, while there is clinical material in this episode, it's for entertainment and informational purposes only. Please do not use it as a substitute for professional help, advice, and or counseling. If you or someone you know is struggling, please seek help from a licensed therapist or counselor. I'm joined today by my producer for the Bart and Susan episodes, Carolyn Sharp. Carolyn is a level three pack therapist out of Seattle, Washington, and she's one of my go-to people to get the good, honest truth. With Carolyn's help, we arrive at a solid question for what we've been asking ourselves about Bart and Susan. How does a couple's therapist learn to help with a couple that presents with one person who's over-functioning and the other who's under-functioning? And here's a hint. It's not as simple as getting the under-functioning person to just function better. So without any further ado, here is the final wrap-up on Bart and Susan. Hello and welcome to Human Nurture. I am your host, Jason Brand, and I am very glad to wrap up with my colleague and friend and who's been the producer of this, Carolyn Sharp. Hello, Carolyn. Hi, Jason. So great to be here. Fun to fun to have gone through this process with you. And today we're going to do something a little bit different, which is that we're going to kind of flip the script and you are going to do some interviewing of me and we're going to have just kind of more of a conversation about this whole process, uh, the podcast itself, about Bart and Susan, about the consultations, and kind of try to put a nice rounding on this. And I'm feeling ready for that. I'm feeling ready like this is the time to do that. It's certainly been quite a ride. So let's let's get into that. Okay, sweet. Well, you know, the first thing I wanted to lead with was just my reflection of what an incredible journey this has been and that you have invited us all into as listeners of this podcast. It has been an incredible evolution from what I know to be your original vision. And I just admire your openness to allowing this to become what it needed to be. And your dedication, uh, this labor of love uh, in the dedication to your craft and to your listeners of creating something super useful. Um, And so my first question for you is to talk about, to tell us about what it has been like for you and where you land now about what the podcast has become. And really a little bit, and later I want to go into specifically to Bart Susan, but now more about the podcast experience and how this evolution sort of, to me, it strikes me that it sort of mirrors the process of being a couples therapist. I mean, the the question for the podcast is how do you do that? How do you do this Mm -hmm. couples therapy thing? And as I reflect on it, it really feels like something that mirrors what we do as therapists. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about what the evolution has been like for you. Yeah. Well, it started, so there's two seasons. The first season was, there was no place just as a packed therapist to kind of have a more basic conversation about these things that I knew nothing about like Marita and Nikon and Mm -hmm. Masterson. So 
I just wanted a place to do that. And it started with these expert interviews, which, and it was great. I mean, I, I enjoyed that. I, I have to say the expert interviews got a little bit old in terms of just, you can only get so far interviewing people on their, what their slice of the pie is. And, okay. and I wanted to do something different. I thought, wow, you know, what I'm really excited by was these podcasts and all the the reality shows I'd say that are, that are interviewing actual couples. And, and I thought, wow, I want to do that, but there's no way that I could be like an Esther Perel or, you know, that I can't, I don't have, I'm not that person. And then I thought, well, but wait a minute, you know, what if I just started doing this from where I'm, where I am. And then there'd be the opportunity to kind of really hear about how do you learn to get better. And I think that there is also something that I really wanted to do, which is say that this is not glamorous work in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very rewarding work, but it's not glamorous. You're kind of, you know, chipping away a lot of the time. I wanted to spell out that process. And I also wanted to show how that gets, how that's hard and confusing. And you don't always know what you're doing. And there's 150 other ways to do it. And on your shoulder is always this person who's going, wait a minute, somebody else could do this better than you. <laughs> and you're always reckoning with that. And I wanted to kind of bring some of that more to the surface. This first round of this has been a rather messy, pretty interesting, lots of tailoring and editing still needed to figure out along the way in the future, but a, a relatively good first pass at that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think it is so rich. There's so much to pull out of every episode that you have brought to us from each clinical interview with Bart and Susan to the interview with Hans and Melissa and Debbie. There's something to pull out of each one that I think both couples therapists, certainly Bart and Susan, but all couples that may listen to your podcast will learn about themselves in the process. One other thing that's coming to mind, which I think has been really interesting about it for me, the realization that it's super hard to hear your own, actually hear your own voice, actually hear what you do. And I mean, and we've had a lot of conversations about this, about, you know, kind of how do you, how do you get an accurate picture mm-hmm. of yourself as a clinician or just as a person in the world, because mm-hmm. there's so much noise in our heads. Absolutely. And it's so hard to actually hear feedback. I mean, no matter how many times I hear these same things, it's hard to to actually learn to do that. And this has been a humbling experience in how hard it is to actually hear one's own voice and know what to do with it when you get that information. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful statement about it. And I'm so curious about what your felt experience of that is, because as I noticed, the tone of your speaking changed so much over the course of the, the interviews, where in the beginning, you were so tentative and sort of apologetic about, well, I mean, from the audio quality to the fact that this is still unfolding. And so I'm really interested what your felt experience has been like of this process, just as it unfolded, as well as the sort of unique position you're in, because this is, as you have beautifully reminded us each session, this isn't therapy and shouldn't be mistaken mistaken for therapy, mm-hmm. but you're a therapist and you're a talented, brilliant therapist uh, with a real gift for connecting with people, um, but you don't really get to do that in the way you wanted. So what has that all felt like mm-hmm. in, your, in your body as you, as you sit there and conduct all of those? Yeah. Well, I go back to that first interview with Bart and Susan 
when I was convinced that I had just really fucked things up. <laughs> I mean, and, and that, and it wasn't an accurate feeling, but mm-hmm. there was a mm-hmm. feeling of like, Oh my God, not only did I jump into this couple's life and like make a mess of, of what's going on between them. But I also mm-hmm. had this podcast idea, which is not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I think that speaks to the level of tentativeness and anxiety about the process at the beginning. So I was starting at the basement in terms of that experience. Now, I also have to say that kind of mirrors some of my early couples experiences of working with couples, you know, Mm -hmm. is that I was convinced that like I went in with a, with, you know, with my training and my (laughs) oomph, you know, and guns blazing. Right, exactly. And I fell flat on my face uh, a bunch of times. And so I guess there's two different ideas there. One is that this really, I really learned a lot from this process. And this does for me really mirror the kind of development that actually happens for the couples therapist. So either direction you want to go with that, I'm, I'm happy to talk about sort of the evolution of both of those things. Well, you said, you know, as a beginning couple therapist, so are you saying you don't still get into couples where you feel like, oh, fuck, I don't actually know what I'm doing. And I just fucked them up so bad. <laughs> Does that not happen to you anymore? Is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, look, we, I, yes, that, that still happens. I would say that one of the differences is that I do have, and this is where the pod, doing the podcast, I think, has been more helpful than anything that I've ever done before, is that I do have more of a voice in my mind now of I was leading too much. I was too active. I was too quiet. I was too timid. I mean, there is more of a sense of not being at the basement, maybe being at like the lobby of, of the building. But yeah, there there is more of a sense of like, okay, I, I can see what happened. And so that that's definitely feels different. And I get I get rolled, you know, I mean, there's times where it's just like, damn, that that was that was unpleasant for me because I don't feel like I knew what I was doing. Right. Or I or I didn't see that coming. Well, what do you mean by I didn't see that coming? Because I think that's more accurate. Uh, I'm terrible with sports analogies, but I always try and use them and I always crack my couples up when I do this. But it came out of left field. Like mm-hmm. you were expecting this to have happened between them and they take it a totally different place. Like with Bart and Susan in the second interview, you find out all this new information about his anger um, and that, and the dynamic between them where his anger is, is, is present, but that's the way they end up communicating when, when something goes awry. And I don't know that you were expecting that. And so it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that we're not prepared or have the skills. It's that we don't, we have an idea about a couple or mm-hmm. we have, I mean, and, and we, you talk about this, I think in, in your interview with Hans, if I'm remembering which one it was, where our, our little darlings are, are uh, the ideas we have attached to about where this couple needs to go or should be going, or, you know, what, whatever our attachment to what we think is going on. And then invariably a couple will do something different and we have to kind of reset and refocus and follow them. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I I think that's a better way of putting it. I mean, I, I, it's not like, oh my God, I've never seen two humans in a room fight or get sad or do these things. I mean, that, that, that's not, it is about, okay, I picked a direction and then all of a sudden, uh oh, I really didn't take this into account or uh, boy, you know, 
I, I got ahead of this or I was way behind on this and I didn't see it. I mean, honestly, looking back, listening again to the Barton Susan first interview about the anger, it was there. I mean, I think I think that had I been less timid and kind of been, well, ha- with the hindsight, it's easy to say that it was written all over it, that that anger was in this and really needed to be drilled into in ways that happened later through, I saw, you know, through what I understood to be their, their couples therapy process and the process of taking part in the podcast. Well, and, and that leads me to want to move more directly into Bart and Susan, but also your experience of speaking to, and you spoke to this throughout with the consultants you talked to about your responsibility to them. I mean, it was, you know, you spoke to it most directly with Debbie, but that sort of anxiety and responsibility you feel to the couple. And Mm -hmm. I could sense that also in your fear that you're not leading the podcast in the right way and that it's not going to be helpful to your audience and that Mm -hmm. you're juggling these two very different goals of being helpful to Bart and Susan, but also creating this podcast. And so can you talk about that experience of holding those two different goals and how it maybe helped you in helping them and, you know, it helped you in both directions, but also Mm -hmm. how it hindered what you did, because it didn't seem like you were able to follow necessarily your own instincts with them or with Mm -hmm. the podcast. Yeah. One very cool thing about this is that people have treated me so kindly. I mean, one thing I've just learned so much about is that people really do want to be on your side. They really do want, and not only do they want that you, not only do they want to be on your side and do they want to have you help them, but they want you to do your job and they want you to do it as best as you possibly can. And so if anything, this has, this process has made me feel more licensed to say the hard things to, you know, kind of really, follow things that I'm afraid of and be willing to make mistakes if I, if I'm seeing something Mm -hmm. and everybody across the board, I've gotten the feedback from, I've been afraid that people are going to say to me, Oh, you push things way too far. And you really, you know, screwed this up. But really the feedback that I've gotten is that actually it didn't quite go far enough. And I would have liked you to stay with the process more and not short circuit it. And I think for me, that actually applies both for the podcast and clinically, that those two things for me intersect, that just being more open, relaxed, easy with my ideas and presenting them to people in a clear, you know, as clear as possible, kind of let's let's sit with this, what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been a big lesson for me. And it hasn't felt like in that area that the podcast and my clinical work is at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the timidity, honestly, that you heard was just, um, was anxiety about, mm-hmm. the, about, you know, is this going to be okay? And this being the podcast or this being Bart and Susan? Well, see, that's, that's where it gets tricky. Um, mm-hmm. Both is this going to be okay that I'm doing this as a podcast? Mm-hmm. Um, is this okay clinically? That certainly always comes up for me. Um, you know, I don't think it's as pronounced as it was in those first episodes, but that's always coming up for me. And with Bart and Susan in particular, 
you know, am I going to break something? Is am I going to do irreparable damage here? Which they're nowhere near as 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 fragile mm -hmm. as my fear mm -hmm. led me to believe in that first episode. Right. So that's and how much of that? Yeah, and how much of that is the stuff that really gets in our own way? Uh, as couples therapists is our fear uh, mm -hmm. and our anxiety that we're not good enough, that we're going to break something um, because it gets in the way of our being able to be with our own instincts about what we're feeling in the room and where the couple needs to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So as this process has unfolded in the podcast, but more specifically to your clinical work, um, and the, the work that Bart and Susan has done, bring us generally on your journey as you think about them, like mm -hmm. from beginning and, and the, the 45 minute interview that none of us were privy to because that was just a phone, get to know you through the first and then the second interview. And in between those, you were having consultations with Hans and, and Debbie and Melissa and me throughout a little bit. So that first interview, I think it was somewhat of a mistake to not record that. I think I got too far ahead of things in that. And I, I'm not doing that anymore. And so a lot was open there. I was, I think, a little bit caught off guard by the fact that it had had such a big impact mm -hmm. on them. Mm -hmm. And so I was playing a little bit of catch up. And I think that already kind of got me off on a, on a mm -hmm. kind of weird foot. But again, mm -hmm. this happens in couples therapy. I mean, it just happened this week, actually, where I had a 20 minute, you know, kind of just get to know you thing. And one of the partners said something that really upset the person. And I, I didn't I didn't know that that was I mean, I, I, I understood that it was part of their dynamic where one person feels feels less than. Uh, but I didn't know that 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 they had taken that and gone in that direction. So it has the 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 feel of real couples therapy in that way then that first episode i think han said it well that you know I, I think i did a good job of not picking not not getting lost in the content not becoming mm -hmm. a fixer as yep. hans talked about and kind of really staying with what was going on for them underneath i think that there were some i mean i've learned a lot about this dynamic. And I think, I hope we get a chance to talk about this today about like, I'm bringing this person into therapy who needs to kind of be fixed. Right. And how to position around that. That is such an important area in therapy. And does that sound like, you know, that, that a good way to describe it, that there's one person who's there to fix and there's one person who needs to be fixed. Does that sound? Yeah, sound uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think it was framed in a in a variety of different ways by your different consultants, as well as how Bart and Susan talked about it, because that the parent-child dynamic that can be framed from an attachment perspective or from a, a external regulation, self-regulation perspective, from a from a neurobiological neurobiolo arousal regulation perspective. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that that, that is bang on. And I think it'd yeah. be really useful to what you've learned in the process of going through it and where you land now and what, what work you really think needs to be done for Bart and Susan. Well, let's see the, where to begin that first session, first episode, I got a feeling that this was happening. I really, that, that Susan I really didn't want to be enlisted in, you know, sort of fixing Bart, but I felt like my attempt didn't go very well. And if you remember what I tried to do was I tried to say, you know, Bart is so helped 
by having you and can you see that appreciation that that he has even that construction now as i think about it later is problematic uh because as as everybody said it leaves him in a one down position that he's sort of at the feet of this person who's helping him so much and there is there you know that that they're really i think that's uh i think that made it maybe a good I don't think, I think that's an okay place to start with a couple of like, you know, can you take in this fact that he appreciates you for what you're doing? I, I think that's an okay place to start. Is it the place, is it ultimately where you want to position yourself? No. Mm-hmm. So I'll stop there. Is that what and do you do think you, about it, that? It does. Well, and I'm curious as to if you remember, I mean, it's been a while now, mm-hmm. um, but if you remember what you were feeling when you went there. Because I think uh-huh. that that we get enlisted because I mean it's the it's the transference and countertransference that we get hooked into, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm really curious what your felt experience was during that first first interview and what led you to take that direction. Let's start with the idea that I was super excited to mm-hmm. like I had this idea which I thought was a great idea, which is that I was going to really set Bart up to show Susan that he appreciates her. So I was super excited by that. And I thought this is going to, this is going to be clinically great. And was great. that because you saw a need in Susan to be appreciated? Where was it? Was that from an attachment wound place or a shifting the frame about where was that idea born? Well, I think it was born out of, I mean, if you remember at the end of the episode, there's, I think it's still in there about like, you know, you've got a really good person here. Mm-hmm. That, that There's this part where I'm like, you know, it's going to pay dividends that, you know, the more you sort of let her know how appreciative you are, because you've picked somebody who's really here, who can really help you in your life. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think probably some of that is is countertransference in the fact that I I kind of you know joke with with in my with my relationship with Jen is that I was a fixer upper you know was that was that you know like like you know it was Who a good deal it? <laughs> it was a good deal but like she brought to it these things that it took me a while to appreciate how much she was doing for me you know that if I could let go of the resentment of of like God, you know, why do you want me to, you know, keep the house this clean or whatever it is mm-hmm. that I could see that like, this is to benefit all, all of us to benefit the relationship. So I think I was going with that. And I think that that's such a, a, a beautiful statement of what, how we get sucked into that unequal footing, because it implies as though Jen is the driver for all the good in the relationship Mm -hmm. versus, and that Jen needs to be appreciated for what Jen is doing versus you each bring something and Bart and Susan, the same thing being true that they each bring something that benefits them. It may not benefit them in the way that feels good. You know, I think about the feel better, get better um, Mm -hmm. play thing. We talk about that. There's things we do to feel better. And there are things that we do to really deeply make us get better to uh-huh. grow and Bart is doing as much for Susan as Susan is doing for Bart, but mm-hmm. that like the gratitude needs to be because his 
problems are more, he's the squeaky wheel, if you will. His problems are Mm -hmm. more obvious. They don't, they Mm -hmm. look like problems, whereas Susan's challenges don't look like problems. They, Mm -hmm. you know, look fancy, um, (laughs) pretty. Yeah. And, and I think the main takeaway for me based on this set of episodes is that I don't actually have to figure that out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that was my biggest Mm -hmm. misstep. Now I'm just, this is sort of coming together now. That's not my job. It's not my job to figure that out. My mm-hmm. job is to set up the set the stage for this to unfold. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean, sounds like we're going to get into the specifics of like, how did Hans do that? How did uh, Melissa do that? How did Debbie do that? How are you saying that, you know, that that's possible? Because I, I know you have opinions on these things because we've talked about them. But that really is for me the 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 takeaway is that that's the job is the job is just to position oneself as good as possible to help this to unfold. Does that get to enough of the specifics of that one person being the problem dynamic framed as the problem dynamic that you were wanting to get into more specifically? Well, I appreciate you bringing that back. It's a funny thing because if, when I put my mind on it, I still get a little lost in it. And I don't know if that's just Mm -hmm. the nature of this where it's like, I still start to get curious in the ways that I got curious in that first episode of like, well, yes, Bart brings something very rich and needs to be part of this whole thing. But if you're in a car and it's driving towards a wall, <laughs> you know, doesn't it need to be, doesn't, don't the brakes need to be applied? But what I'm saying is that Susan was saying, you know what? we're not going to be able to have a sustainable relationship if we don't clean up this side of the street that Mm -hmm. happens to be his side of the street. I still have this question, no matter how much I've learned about the unfolding process and, and see how much growth there is just to do in that area. And that being probably at the end of the day, a much better place to do our job from. Mm -hmm. I still do have the question on the other side. Mm -hmm. That you follow that? I do. And I, 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 yes. Who in that metaphor you're using, who is driving the car that's about to go in the cliff? Oh, you're going to play a little, you're going to play a little, a little something on me here. Okay. So the car, okay, let's remove the steering wheel. It's just the car is headed in that direction. They're in it together. Bart doesn't do something. If he doesn't get active and engaged in fixing this thing, then this, car is going to hit the wall. And as we saw from interview one to interview two, he did get active and then she got inactive is the wrong term, but that's where I find the dance of this. Another way of putting it is the over-functioning, under-functioning partner dynamic. Mm -hmm. He starts to function higher. She starts to function lower. She starts Mm -hmm. to withdraw. So then who's driving the car at that point? Like she's like throwing the steering wheel at him. And again, this metaphor is terrible for, for this um, because she's not, we've lost the steering wheel. You know, she's not throwing anything at anybody, but there is this in her hopelessness. That's not to blame Susan for what has happened, because really I think that the withdrawal is is a result of her feeling a taste of what she's needed all along and her getting really terrified to lean into that because what if I actually let myself depend on you? No good can come of that mm-hmm. um, sort of feeling that we can have, but it's just, 
he started to become active. He started to drive the car a little bit more. And the result is a swing in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said a moment ago about, you know, our job is to let the process unfold and really reflect what we're seeing, reflect the challenge, reflect with compassion about how, okay, well, this isn't what we, (laughs) this isn't what we want. This isn't Mm -hmm. the, we're not there yet, but can you see how you're still on the road? Car's still on the road. This is a little bumpy and it's a different kind of bumpy from what we wanted, but it's different from what we were on. Yes. Um, Yes. And I would, I would add to that, that it's not just letting the process unfold. It's also doing this equal driving thing in the session together or whatever we're, you know, whatever metaphor we're using here. So, and everybody had a different way of framing that. Hans says, first of all, set the framework for, you know, you guys are all of a sudden deep family and mm-hmm. the stakes are all of a sudden higher. And this is foundation building time. And that's just sort of an overall framework. And then that you help them sort of step-by-step step kind of stay with that. One of the things that really stood out for me was Hans's discussion about trust is earned through the, the problems that occur, that you don't just have trust and keep trust. It's through those betrayals, if you will, where in the repair, now you know trust has been tested and it's really, it's real trust. And mm-hmm. so this, these bumps that they're going over, these, these struggles that they're having help them create the strength and the, the powerful partnership that they're both wanting and needing. And that neither of them have ever had an attachment figure, a person that was really there for them in all the ways they needed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's that great stance that I think Hans embodies so well of, it's great that this is happening right now. This is great because this is the opportunity to rebuild something stronger. And he just is with them in that. Another thing I've really noticed through doing the podcast is that when people say that they don't know what to do, that you've really accomplished something in therapy because yeah. people come in with their, well, you're laughing. So take it over a little bit. I mean, cause I'm curious to hear you put it into your words. Learning to be comfortable with the mess. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, you, you spoke to your anxiety that you were going to lead them into, into dangerous territory that was going to blow up. That was going to be bad and learning us learning to be comfortable and learning to cope with the mess that comes up. And the fact that We grow from discomfort. None of us grow when we're doing fine. We don't, uh, I mean, we don't choose to grow when we're doing fine. We keep things the same when Mm -hmm. we're doing fine and when we feel fine. And so it is in the mess. It is in the struggle that we learn and become stronger. And as therapists, we need to be able to continue to hold that view and create that container where we will safely hold them in the mess so that they can learn from what it is. And we need to keep Mm -hmm. that, that bigger view. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult. And I can only imagine how difficult it would be as a podcast host where you're not really allowed to be a therapist in that context, um, Mm -hmm. because there isn't really the room for that. We have to help them be comfortable within that mess as well, that the mess has purpose. Let's flag that idea about I'm not allowed as a therapist to do that because it's a, it's a tricky line. I mean, I was definitely doing it. I'm definitely not their therapist. Right. Um, so let's, let's, let's hold that. Cause I want to, I want to talk, I want to, for me, going back to this, the mess thing, 
I think it's that one and two person system, which I think is another mm-hmm. thing that Hans just really did a beautiful job of describing is that being in your mess as a one person system, it's like watching your partner rush around the house when they lose their keys. It's like, oh my God, you look like a total lunatic, you know, like I, you know, where are they? Like I touch, I'm going through my pockets again. Like how many times are you going to go through your pockets? You know, um, but so, so we all look weird when we are lost in the mess on our own. Um, that's just, and it's embarrassing, it's exposing. And to do that together, to learn to be in the mess together as, uh, okay, you know, I can think about myself and I can think about you. And that's where I think for me that I don't know what to do because a lot of that I don't know what to do moment is when people say, I've given up just trying to do it my own way, trying to convince you therapist or trying to convince my partner or convince myself that this is the right way to do things. I don't actually know how to do things in this more collaborative way that you're proposing. Mm -hmm. And so now we got to, now we're starting from this place that I think that you just articulated of like, we're in the mess. It's hard to be in the mess. We got to do it together. How are we going to do it? And that's sort of like you get a little bit of an even playing field over the over the problem. I think that there's a tendency for all of us as humans in relationship to swing. You know, like I'm do I've been doing this thing, Susan. I've been I've been nagging you or parenting you, and it's not working. So now I'm going to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And that that is we we overcompensate. We take these wild swings. I think we do this as therapists as well. Uh, when we when we get into area that we're not quite sure what to do, and we yeah. get a little scared, we will swing in the other direction. Of you know, we have our hands all over everything, and then we take our hands totally off. And so learning to okay, my my fear is telling me to back way the hell off, mm-hmm. and let me soften that, and maybe lean in and, and share with you how scared I am to be mm-hmm. with you as you do more, as you say more, as you share more, it's scary for me. And my tendency yeah. is to want to completely pull away yeah. and how hard, I mean, it's so hard. It's so easy for me to sit here and say, well, that's what Susan should do. She should lean into her fear rather mm-hmm. than backing away with her fear. Yeah. Okay. Easy to say, Carolyn, come on. <laughs> like right, how, how right. hard that is for Susan to do and for Bart to lean into his feelings. Everyone was framing it as, as inadequacy. And I know I, I shared this with you on multiple occasions. I, th- I think of it as unworthiness that neither of them feel worthy of love, that they have to be perfect in order to be worthy to get their needs met. Uh-huh. And so it's more of an attachment thing rather than inadequacy to me feels more like I don't feel good enough at a particular task rather than this worth thing, mm-hmm. him leaning into his fears about not doing it well enough, not being good enough and to keep trying anyway, and to be able to show up as he does in his neurodiverse way of having an ADHD creative brain to being able to be a mess and that he's still going to be loved Mm. and that both of them need to lean in rather than avoid or hide or go Mm -hmm. secret or go dark or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, And it reminds me of Melissa Ferrari's interview Mm -hmm. because Melissa, I just loved that interview because the, the quiet love the, her description of what quiet love is, and it's just in line with what you're saying about, I like, I like unworthiness. Basically what Melissa was saying that I thought it was subtle, but I just found it so wonderful of how do we lay together knowing mm-hmm. that we both feel unworthy 
of love, that that becomes the place to kind of begin. And that is so cool to me. I, I get tingles mm-hmm. as, I, as I talk I about know. it. I know she's, yeah, she is a, a gift, definitely. And I do think that that really soft and quiet way has real power. And it's, it's so interesting because she's so soft and quiet and Debbie is so fast moving and active and direct and right. powerful. I mean, Debbie is fantastic. I love her so much. And they're so, the, those positions are so different uh, yeah. in terms of ways that you could be with. Bart and Susan. And again, it comes back to, there are a million different ways to do our work mm-hmm. and very few of them are just straight up wrong. They mm-hmm. would just take us in different ways. They're different ways of holding the mess and creating safety for the couple. But that quiet love of Melissa's, um, you know, in, in the looking into each other's eyes and just reflecting what you see and sharing those declarations of love and commitment, I think would be incredibly powerful for Bart mm-hmm. and Susan way beyond figuring out who's going to do what. I think that that is really where some of the really magical um, transformation is going to happen for them. Yeah. I do tend to, my default gear tends to be quieter and mm-hmm. to be softer in that way. That's where I begin from. Mm-hmm. And I think that that first episode needed more pressure. That's what I like so much about the Debbie interview. She just presented this way to put pressure on things. I got to say of all the interviews, Debbie's has stayed with me the most in terms of I have been more of a drill sergeant. I'm really working now to bring more of that kind of like, we have to see what's really going on here before mm-hmm. we can before we know mm-hmm. what to do with it. Like we got to see it and it's not clear yet and I'm not going to let it go. You guys can't let it go until we see it. That pressure there, I think would Absolutely. have been helpful in that, second ep- in that first episode. Absolutely, especially because for you in that first episode, first interview, first aired interview with mm-hmm. Bart and Susan, right. you were on your heels because yes. from that initial get to know you call to the first interview, a lot had happened. And so you were playing catch up and were, I could feel your sort of frantic energy in that first episode mm-hmm. where you were a little like, not, not what the fuck is going on here, but whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. uh, what, what's going mm-hmm. on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when that's happening, I think of you know, I mean, I have Stan's voice in my head, like the reset, 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 you know, the physically reset so that you can get your feet under you to be able to follow what you need to follow. And I think that Debbie's intervention to really get to what, what is, what's really happening here? What Mm -hmm. is this really in Stan's voice is really powerful. And I felt for you because you were on your heels. You're trying to do to do two jobs at once. You're trying to help this couple and you're trying to have an interview that is, that is going to work as a podcast. So, mm-hmm. and you're protective of them as a couple that is sharing deeply personal information on a public forum. Yes. Um, so you had a lot going on there that mm-hmm. I think anybody would have had difficulty staying as active as engaged. It's easy for us as spectators, as listeners to hear it go, oh, I would have gone left here rather than right. Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? And that's why I think there's this power in this reflection process. Um, and you've spoken to it beautifully of now having gone through this, what would you do differently? Knowing everything you know, what would you have done differently? What do you wish you could have done in that 
I mean, you've spoken to the first episode, but, you know, overall with Martin Susan, what do you wish you would have done? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Taking everything from Melissa and Debbie and Hans. Not to sound too Zen master about this, but I, it's perfect the way that it is. I mean, I I had no Mm -hmm. idea really what I was doing here. And the spirit of this has really been about learning as I go along. And Mm -hmm. so, and this has been a really nice process of learning as I go along. My hope is, you know, this is, this is another thing that I've really been carrying forward in my clinical work is we don't know until we try. And that I know that that's like, you hear that all the time, but it's really true that until you put yourself Mm -hmm. out there, you can't learn. And we have to count on ourselves as getting better once we see things unfold right? It's like, oh, okay. Well, now I know, you know, the Ron and Shakir interviews, which are coming up, I did too short of an initial interview and I could have, should have gotten more information up front. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I got to find a nice medium for this initial Mm -hmm. interview that Mm -hmm. kind of gets me on the ground, but also doesn't kind of stir up too much clinically. And then I can keep it more contained within the podcast. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of sort of just tinkering with the actual format of the podcast that I think will make it sound better. And I think it will Mm -hmm. give it more of a frame that I think Mm -hmm. will be more predictable and Mm -hmm. will help me to know kind of what I'm doing when and why. So none Mm -hmm. of that answers your question about what do I wish (laughs) that I had done differently in the Bart and Susan interview. The first interview, I wish that I had been, if I had not been more on my heels, like you I think astutely picked up. There were so many words and phrases, like Hans said, that were such juicy bits, you know, like the anger is my final defense, the canary in the coal mine, you know, that even the fact that they came in and cleaned this whole thing up, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what are we actually doing here? And what are you guys trying to trying to accomplish in this space? We're not going to do, you know, like this is confusing, like we have to be here and we have to understand this. Like from, from the get, I should have planted my flag in, wait a minute, like, what are we doing here? I was, you know, there's timidity and all this stuff that we've talked about. I wish for myself that, I mean, particularly with Susan, I think you can see my desire. I want to be able to hold people's kind of that sadness, that loneliness, that feeling more in the session. Like I wish that I could have just made more of a space for that to kind of come out and just to kind of be there. I have questions about sort of like how to do that within the packed model. If you look at other models, like they spend so much time like helping people emote their big feelings with the therapist being the one who sort of facilitates it. And Mm -hmm. how do you do that artfully? I wish that I had done that more with Susan. With Bart, I wish that I hadn't seen him, you know, the the whole sort of um, fragility, the whole, there's sort of like a, I kind of wanted to be the the dude on his side who's sort of like, let's, you know, let's get you to be a good, a good partner here. That energy, like, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that again. Uh, Pressure, like Debbie said, and the quiet love part, I wish I'd just taken more risks in like, you know, in the way that Melissa you know, so like just has such a wonderful way of just being like, let's try this. Let's be curious about this. Let's experience this. I would love to have brought more of that kind of energy into the sessions. It's such a rich experience that you had because you had the opportunity to have four 
including myself, different consultants observe you, mm-hmm. you know, listen to you, be a therapist, listen in on it. And I don't do that very often. No, I, I mean, nobody, do. I don't know anybody who's, who does that. I mean, just in terms of, you know, I mean, certainly we all go to consultation and we all have, mm-hmm. you know, we talk, I mean, you and I will talk about cases, but to have this much kind mm-hmm. of 360 view of things, mm-hmm. uh, it's very cool. And I do want to say just, just to reiterate the therapeutic alliance piece that mm-hmm. you get from people when you're kind of in this position of I'm learning along with you, let's figure this out. Mm-hmm. It's just been, I mean, Bart and Susan have been like, I, I, I mean, you know, we talk about like, you, you know, you should love your couples and, um, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, it is so easy to love people when they mm-hmm. feel so appreciative of what you're doing. And mm-hmm. a lot of that is because of the process mm-hmm. that has been very labor intensive um, mm-hmm. on their behalf. Not only being appreciative, but entrusting themselves to us of sort of showing us their underbellies and their messy selves, particularly on a podcast where it's, it's right. public. I mean, these are two, gosh, I mean, I just, I want to know them. I want to get to work with them because they're so interesting. I think you did such a beautiful job of holding their, their stuff um, in a way that they felt really held by you. Mm -hmm. So going back to this idea of having all of these consultations at the end of the day, it's just you in the room. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, one of my, you know, final wrap up questions for, you know, the therapists out there that are listening to this, when it's just you in the room, how do you let go of all of those voices? What is Mm -hmm. the, what is the process for you of coming back into yourself and letting go of Hans in your voice or Debbie in your voice or Melissa in your voice or Stan or whoever it is that we carry forward to just trusting yourself? Um, Mm -hmm. does having so many voices help that or hinder that? Well, before I get to that, I just, one thing that you have really pushed on is this idea of don't go with the identified patient Mm -hmm. narrative, Right. work against that. There's a way that you have said, remain skeptical, remain pushing. And that has Mm -hmm. been super helpful to me to, to, to stay uncomfortable with that Mm -hmm. idea, to keep Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's not the, Yes, to stay uncomfortable with that idea. So just mm-hmm. do you have any quick reflections on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and, and this is thanks to PACT and thanks to Stan's work, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that emphasis on really in what is really going on and to be skeptical and the perniciousness of the dynamic of the parent-child thing in, in relationship where the over-functioner or under-functioner, and it's very easy to get sucked in because it can be very convinc- convincing in the preparation that he, in this case, isn't doing enough. He's not carrying enough of the emotional labor. I'm doing too much. I don't want to nag all of that sort of stuff. I can't do this anymore. And to remember that there is a reason these people chose each other. And they didn't just chose each other because they were attracted to each other because he's smart and she's creative or, or whatever it is. They also chose each other because of the ways, and Debbie spoke to this beautifully, the ways that the dynamic between them echoes their experience in childhood. Mm-hmm. And so taking that couple view rather than identified patient view and being skeptical of the identified patient view helps us hold that frame in a way that keeps them on that, that when one person is complaining about the other partner, what are they doing that's contributing to that behavior in the other partner? Mm-hmm. Because it takes, if there's an overfunctioner and an underfunctioner, it takes an overfunctioner for there to be an underfunctioner. And there's a reason why 
that over-functioner, that parent role does that because it's comfortable for them. It keeps them feeling safe because they know it's going to get done then if I do it. That sort of, you know, do you want something done right? Do it yourself kind of Mm -hmm. philosophy, which is also very American culturally. But in any case, it takes an over-functioner for there to be an under-functioner. And it takes an under-functioner for there to be an over-functioner for, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, I have couples that come in that the under-functioner is the one that it complains of like, don't nag me. Don't tell me what to do. Don't control me. Mm-hmm. Well, they wouldn't need to control you if you weren't sitting down, letting them control, you know, mm-hmm. you're not listening maybe to the request, the first, second, third requests to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it requires that. So to, again, What's your contribution to this dynamic? Yeah. Which isn't always a very popular tack to take with couples. I get myself, the the way people are pissed at me when I, when I keep hammering that and flip Uh it around. Uh Uh-huh. If anything, this set of interviews with just as a, as a package has been a really deep discussion of how, how to do that, of different ways to approach that. Um, and I love your just, I think your framing about underfunctioner, functioner, overfunctioner is just a simple, easy way to kind of keep this in mind. So that goes back to your question about, well, what do I do on Monday when I have you in my mind when I have an overfunctioner and an underfunctioner? And I think, wow, I wish Carolyn was here to do this because, because she's so in my mind right now. And I don't remember what she's saying that the overfunctioner over, I, you know, it's like, so there's, there is this way that, that you get people in your system, you know? Mm-hmm. And well, one thing that's been very helpful, it's because it's being elicited by the dynamic in the room. Yes. And that that's something that needs to be, it's, it's not about my responsibility to get active and like, oh, you know, I got to, what, what were the 10 things that Carolyn told me to think about in this time? It's more like, okay, why is this particular couple playing this station in my brain, this channel of Carolyn? And why am I getting so activated around thinking that there's a need to kind of fix it? And I'm going, okay, well, I know the person who can fix that. It's this thing that, that fixes that. And, and to, be, to be, as Hans said, to be skeptical of being the fixer um, mm-hmm. in that way. So a lot of that is just self-regulation. I also think that, you know, where I aspire to be is I once saw a great interview with Mnuchin who was talking about the voices in his head and he clearly just kind of sits back and kind of plays with the voices in his head. Oh, interesting. You know, I'm thinking about this now. Oh, interesting. Like, why is this in my mind here? Like, you know, and actually like has a conversation with them as, as his own kind of you know, person in the world. And that's very cool. Or I know now coming back from a deep kind of training experience, like this is going to take at least a week or two to titrate through my system. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be like, I am going to be so amped up with all these voices that are telling me that I need to do things these ways. And so just, just get prepared for that to be the case. Um, Mm -hmm. Or with a couple that's really difficult. It's like, okay, just get prepared that you're going to have some crazy ideas about, you know, quick fixes or other people that should be in the room with you or, you know, fancy things that are needed here. Like that's just the territory. Well, and how bouncing between going into our intellect about what Hans would do or what I would do or what Melissa would do can be a signal that we're becoming dysregulated 
that mm-hmm. we can go between those to cope with dysregulation or to get away from discomfort or whatever it is. And to, you know, that setting, resetting, resetting thing that Stan talks about and teaches us to do so that we stay grounded in our felt experience of the couple and able to be in touch with what we, what we feel needs to happen. And as well as in connection to our intellectual understanding, I think is really helpful in those yeah. kind of circumstances. Yeah. And that resetting thing, it just comes back to presence. It's so important. Right. It's right. so important to, to, and, and it, it is a tough one. I mean, that is really Absolutely. the high watermark of being able to, it's a lifelong practice of being able to mm-hmm. kind of just come back into yourself, mm-hmm. settle down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of it's mm-hmm. energy conservation. It's, it's mm-hmm. staying uh, flexible and, mm-hmm. and open to people. It's all that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, it, that's the key. Yeah. Well, and it's so intense in couples therapy because you have three different entities in the room, all desperately asking for help and for like, fix this, tell me what to do. How do we do this? Make this stop. And so that, that grounding and that presence is so critical to be able to keep our frame um, Mm -hmm. and stay Mm -hmm. with what we want to be the arc of the work and stay yeah, focused yeah. on where we think the, the couple needs to go. The, the last sort of question or, or area I wanted to go into is now having gone through all of this with Bart and Susan, with, with all of us peeking in on you, what is your sort of dream for them as a couple? knowing what you know about them. What is, you know, if you had to, if you were their therapist and you were designing the arc of their work together, where do you see that? Where do you want to see them in in a year or five years? I can answer that more through feelings than I can through an actual, like, you know, I'd like them to get their financial, whatever together, or like, of course I wish all that for them. Like I wish that the, that these big impediments to their relationship that, that they can find something like, you know, the example of like, I don't want to have to make your dentist appointment for you. Like, I hope that Susan can feel the joy of making Bart's dentist appointment for him, because I think that there's a part of her that likes to be the organized one. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's part of it. I think that there's a way that Bart, I'd like to see Bart appreciate her for the fact that she does that. And I'd like Bart to kind of locate these areas where he's got to kind of step up um, now that he's in this, you know, relationship that's demanding this of him. Um, and, and that he really sees that, that he's doing it on behalf of himself and that he's doing it to take care of himself and that it's, he's doing it to take care of Susan. And like, I want them to get that two person system thing going, you know, listening to the episodes what I would want to see from them in the room would be Susan long pauses, long, long pauses, long crafting, I think, in her mind of what's the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. And such loneliness, I think, in that stance. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I feel a little sad as I talk about it. And I want that, I want her to be able to come forward with more kind of, you know what, I'm just going to say this, let the chips fall where they will, you know, that I don't, I'm not holding all of this in this way. So I would love to see if I were the therapist, I would love to see her just taking more risks, just, you know, saying, you know what, you know, you, you, your temper just, you know, I I don't know what to say about it. I don't know, you know, I haven't thought about it for a long time, but I'm just bringing it up here and I'm putting it out there and I want to get it out. And I don't want to hold it in this way. For Bart, for me, it was palpable 
when he goes into the little boy kind of the parent thing that was very palpable to me in the room and and in the second interview the way that his voice changes and i thought that was a very nice kudos to his to their therapist um, who i think they're holding this very nicely you know it's palpable you can hear it you can feel it when he goes into that sort of constricted i'm doing this because i have to or i should with this expectation thing that he would be able to recognize that more in himself that he'd be able to kind of just level with susan when it's happening like oh my god this is happening to me again i don't know what to do about it please you know i i already beat myself up badly enough you know, when I, when I start to do this, help me here or, or give me a minute, or I don't want to go into this thing. Like whatever that place is that I could feel so much in the room that that's one thing. Another thing was just that is, as this is unfolding, there was a way that Susan, she has to be a downer in order to hold things in reality. She has to say, let's not get Let's not create a, a false reality here. And I'm going to do that by telling you all the ways that this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And I think that that becomes really negative. And I, and I want her to have some fun too. In the, in, and I'm sure she does. And this is just my slice of it that I get to see. But I want her in the room to be able to not have to be the one who's always putting dampening things down in order to hold them as in, in the reality that she's so afraid is unfolding. That would land them in a really awesome place, I think. And mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that they are capable of getting there. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I believe everybody's capable of getting where they want to go as long as they're both actively participating and wanting to get to that same endpoint. Mm -hmm. um, Off the cuff ideas, just about like, because I, I would like to do this sort of follow-up thing with mm -hmm. them where I just, I mm -hmm. kind of just want to check in with where, what are they up to? Where are they now? And how have things gone? Uh, any, do you have any off the cuff ideas about doing that, not doing that? How much to do that? I of course want to want to hear from them again, because I uh, am invested in, in them making it and getting past the, the hurdles that they're, they're climbing over currently. Um, so I'm deeply curious about them and, you know, want them to have the chance to hear and reflect on everything that, that Melissa and Hans and, and Debbie have offered. You could go on working with Bart and Susan on a podcast forever because mm -hmm. each new piece of information, it's, it's another rock we're throwing in the pond and it's rippling out and it takes mm -hmm. a while to integrate and grow. And we never, or rarely do we get to see all of the um, results of our work with couples because they continue to grow and use what we've, we've offered them in their own ways and uh, make mistakes and then come back together and heal. But I, I always want to, I want to continue to, to understand mm -hmm. and, and learn from them, but um, to give them the opportunity to hear that and to, if it would help tie it in a bow and, and take sort of final, final thoughts from, from you um, as the person that's taken them on that ride, on this ride. Great. Okay. That sounds, that sounds about, I think I don't really want it to be another big clinical interview. I do. Mm -hmm. I want it to be more contained than that. And um, cause there's, a, there's already a lot here. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like there's a whole lot else to be said um, mm -hmm. without continuing the work into a right. really, another place. Um, but I, I really do like, I share with you this desire to kind of hear from them, hear what they're up to, hear how they're doing and to hear how they've integrated this and the other work that they no doubt mm -hmm. are doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could do at the end of the series, at the end of the season, you could do sort of whatever, six months later, you know, now that all of the episodes have been aired and you've heard all of them, 
let us know how you're doing. It'd be an interesting yeah. thing. Cool. How do you want to take us out of here? Uh, well, I'll leave it to you to take us out as the, as the <laughs> podcast owner. Thank you for inviting me to produce this episode and to participate in it with you. It's been an incredible joy and creative lifeline to, to the you know doldrums of pandemic therapy. <laughs> so yeah. I've really appreciated it and I've learned a lot from going through it with you. Well, I just, you, as you know, I just love working with you. I think mm-hmm. you're um, as straight ahead and have the right opinions about things um, more than anybody I know. So I, uh, oh, <laughs> I love, I love so it. Sweet. And um, to be continued, my friend. Um, yes. And onward and upward. Sounds good. That wraps it up and wraps up the Bart and Susan episodes. What to say at the end? I think enough has been said except for thank you to Bart and Susan, to Carolyn, to Hans, to Melissa, and to Debbie, and to all of you for listening. And join me again next episode as we start with our second couple, Ron and Shakir. Until then, be well. Be well.